From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And it feels like a lot of this week was spent uh, looking at teacher salary issues. We wrote about that a lot last week, but uh, the, the saga continues. Uh, some new rankings and some new and not necessarily surprising confusion about uh, teacher pay in Idaho. Yeah, so a wrinkle, a fly in the ointment. We'll get to that in just a second. That dominated some big meetings this week. But Kevin, you started off the week taking a closer look at some new salary rankings, some comparisons among the 50 states, District of Columbia, that were put forward by the NEA, the National Education Association Teachers Union. What did they find out about Idaho, and, and where do we stack up? We've made, obviously, big investments in teacher pay over the last five years through the career ladder. Where do we stack up, and what's the report saying? Well, the NEA report puts uh, into perspective what we've seen here over the past few years with the career ladder, with the teacher pay raises that you mentioned. Now we get a sense of what what does that mean in the bigger picture and how does that compare uh, across the nation. And what I found that was interesting in the report is that the pay raises that Idaho teachers have received over the past couple of years are among the highest in the country. Uh, it was a 3.6% raise uh, for the average teacher salary in 2018. That was second in the nation. Only Arkansas had a higher percentage uh, pay raise uh, on, on average. This year, the numbers are a little bit uh, sketchy at this point. They're not complete. They're more estimates than they are uh, concrete numbers, but pay raises of more than 3% on average, and that is among the highest in the nation. So. What you're seeing is that the teacher, uh, the career ladder is starting to uh, to result in some, you know, it's starting to make up some ground for Idaho teachers. And this time around, this year, uh, the estimates from NEA suggest that the uh, average salary for Idaho school teachers has nudged above the $50,000 mark. And that tracks with some reporting that you did independently a few weeks back or a month or so it's, ago. It's pretty close to some numbers that we've put together, and it's uh, pretty close to numbers that we've tracked over the past couple of years looking at the career ladder and its impact on teacher salaries. Right now, according to these estimates from NEA, the average salary in Idaho ranks 41st in the nation up from 44th the past couple of years. So uh, a couple of notches up the rankings uh, also significantly. These estimates suggest that the average salary for Idaho teachers is just a little bit above Utah. Why Why is Utah so important? We well, keep hearing I mean, about it at the Statehouse. We, we do. And and what we hear at the Statehouse over and over, it's not just a Utah thing, but Utah is part of the equation, right. is the concern that it's really hard for school districts to compete for school teachers retain school teachers especially if they can pick up a pay raise simply by driving across the border right. and getting a job in a neighboring state, Utah being one of those states. So if Idaho's salaries are starting to come more in line with neighboring states, that might uh, that might bode well for districts that are struggling to hang on to uh, experienced teachers, qualified teachers. Um, it, it could make Idaho more competitive down the road. Now, we're still well behind uh, most other states, most other neighboring states in terms of average salary. So there's, there's quite a bit uh, of room uh, for improvement here. And that was uh, one of the prevailing sentiments that I heard on Tuesday when I was rounding up reactions to these numbers. Uh, I think you know, a consensus that 
still there's work to be done, especially in terms of improving salary for veteran teachers. I think that's been a theme at this point that uh, the, the consensus is we did a lot of work to raise the minimum teacher salaries, to raise salaries, or at least what the state pays out for salaries uh, towards the beginning, end of the profession, especially on that residency rung of the career ladder. But the theme has been, okay, now that we've done that, we need to look at not just the recruitment piece, but the retention piece and address the top end of the career ladder. And people point back to the governor's task force, uh, those recommendations from, I want to say, 2013 yep. that talked about a $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 tiered structure. Obviously, the tiered licensure thing went by the wayside, but we've got the 40 and the 50 down, but what the state pays kind of tops out at 50, and so the top end was never addressed. And and people remember that, and, and, and people continue to bring that up. And I think people will take a, a crack at that next legislative session. It remains to be seen what will happen. And it's exactly why that $50,000-plus average salary that I was talking about is kind of a two-edged sword. Yeah. It, it does suggest that, yes, teacher salaries are moving up in Idaho, that, uh, you know, that progress is being made partly because of the career ladder. But if your average salary is more than $50,000, and the maximum payout from the state, the maximum allocation that the state sends to a school district or a charter for a teaching position, if that maximum allocation is $50,000, well, something's got to give here yeah. because then the local district or the charter has to figure out a way to make up the difference. And most of them are doing that either with uh, money from supplemental levies or using discretionary yeah. funding that they get from the state that they can put into salaries or, or really any other purpose. So there are still gaps that are being filled in at the local level. And in a lot of districts, those gaps are being filled out of necessity because, once again, it's a concern about hanging on to veteran teachers, keeping veteran teachers in Idaho as opposed to losing them to uh, jobs in other states. So, you know. There's some good news in these numbers. There's also uh, some, you know, there's some signs in these numbers that there's still work to be done. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was a good point about talking about the district subsidizing that uh, to retain their teachers. It is a competitive thing. I've talked to superintendents even this spring about how it's very important for them to hang on to their teachers. Stability amongst the teaching profession is important for school districts. Uh, it's important for students. And it provides stability for districts, especially your smaller and rural school districts. But that was a good point about the uh, supplemental levy dollars and the uh, discretionary dollars and how they use those uh, to top out uh, anything above the fifty thousand dollars that the mm -hmm. state pays out. So that I mean, that's what we—that's where the rubber meets the road. That's what's happening out in the real world now that the legislative session has ended because those contract negotiations are underway now. They are underway now, and we'll be watching those over the next few weeks. And um, that negotiation process is probably a little bit more complicated uh, this spring than it might have been were it not for some late action at the legislature and a, one of the last bills that the legislature passed, certainly the last big education bill that the legislature passed. Confusion, uh, uncertainty resulting from that new law, not unexpected, but it, it's playing itself out right now. Yeah, that's what I saw at, I attended the uh, post-legislative roadshow tour that the State Department of Education and State Superintendent Sherry Ybarra put on earlier this week. There was one in Boise on Monday. There's another one in Idaho Falls. Falls. And then 
yeah. Idaho Falls. Yep. Two others, Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, caught the Wednesday one in Idaho Falls. Confusion, and not just confusion, but, I mean, I sense some frustration uh, over salaries. Uh, and, and it basically has to do with this funding formula light bill. House Bill 293, uh, the late session bill that was intended to standardize some definitions and create new reporting requirements for districts. Obviously, that was sort of the fallout from the funding formula failing to even get out of committee, the full-blown rewrite that never went anywhere. Um, we heard that this 293 was kind of a late-session effort to Keep the issue alive. To keep the issue alive. Some people say put points on the board. It's not a touchdown, but maybe we put some points on the board late in the year. Almost a moral victory, like they didn't want to walk away empty-handed after three years of the interim committee. But the passage of 293, which is now a law, and the way it dealt with a definition for local salary schedules is really creating some confusion. To this point, attorneys have gotten involved and issued... (laughs) You know, but between attorneys and the governor's transmittal letter and the letter signed by the bill's sponsors and another uh, attorney general's opinion, there's a lot of confusion. Um, but let's just get into it, right? Um, that bill itself seemingly didn't have anything to do with raising salaries, but I just want to read you one sentence from House Bill 293 uh, that's problematic. And this mm-hmm. is where the source of the frustration and confusion comes in. But it says minimum compensation under a local salary schedule shall be at least equal to $38,500 or, for staff holding a professional endorsement, $42,500. Right. And to unwrap that sentence, shall is a key word here. That is not may. That is shall. Everybody's seizing on the word shall. mandate. Legislative equivalent to a mandate. And when you see that in statute... You know, shall means shall. So the, why does the, thir- this... the thirty-eight five hundred is not new? That's the the minimum salary that was increased this year. That you know, step one to a forty thousand dollars minimum. Right. No surprise there. No no confusion there. No dispute there. But this forty-two thousand five hundred, which would kick in for teachers maybe about four years into their career. Right. That is new. That's not been a mandate in state law before. Is it a mandate now? That's where the confusion is coming in. That's the problem because going back the last four or five years with the career ladder, the career ladder has always sort of been intended to represent the money the state pays to school districts and charters for salaries. School districts were always allowed to set their local salaries at the bargaining table each spring, which is what happens now. The only thing that was mandated on... In state law was the absolute minimum salary that a first-year teacher would enter the career ladder at. Anywhere you teach, you will get this minimum salary. At least this amount, no matter whether it's in Boise or Basin, this is the minimum salary, and that was in law. That was very well established. People were used to that. One minimum salary, everything beyond that. Subject to negotiations. Subject to negotiations. Districts could adopt the career ladder. They could come up with their own salary schedule. They could use the old grid system. We always hear about local control. This was an example of local control. All right, so that's fine and hunky-dory. Everybody was used to that. All of a sudden, late into the session, late into March, 293 is introduced, and it has that language with the word shall that all the attorneys are seizing on, that also includes the second minimum of 42.5, and that's generally speaking, this gets a little complicated, but generally speaking, that's the first rung of the professional 
rung of the career ladder, the P1 rung. Generally, that applies to four teachers in their fourth year who have met the state's conditions for jumping from the residency rung to the professional rung. That was never mandated to be paid out before, but now uh, the, one of the major education groups, the Idaho School Boards Association, is saying we are advising all of our districts and charters to pay that 42.5 this year or risk exposure to a potential wage claims dispute. So they're yeah. saying we're urging everybody to pay this, even yeah. though here's where it gets interesting. The legislators who sponsored House Bill 293 said it was never their intention yeah, to raise the minimum salary. Creating a new minimum. When Brad, Governor, Governor Brad Little yeah. signed this bill into law, he said this doesn't change salaries. However, um, the attorneys for the Idaho School Boards Association disagree the attorney general's office has weighed in and kind of made it a little bit more confusing. And we talk about that in the story. I almost don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of it on the podcast and further confuse the issue. But it's a, it's a sticking point. And, and this wasn't just how do we handle this. There were groans and frustration at this meeting that I was at on Monday. And Devin reported that people were frustrated and upset Wednesday and Idaho Falls, and I'll tell you something else. There's another problem with 293 because it wrote in a specific dollar amount, 38500 for the beginning salary at the bottom end. Well, guess what? We already know there's a different law, House Bill 153, that's going to increase that over the next two years. So that that's immediately going to be outdated and have to be amended or rewritten. But it, it conflicts with existing state law. And here's the kicker, Kevin. This wasn't a surprise. No, this is no. exactly we what people this. warned about during a March 27th hearing in front of the House Education Committee. Idaho Education Association President Carrie Overall stood up, said, this is a problem. This will complicate negotiations this year. Why is this in there? Tim Hill, the deputy superintendent uh, for the State Department of Education said, this appears to conflict with existing state law. I recommend you correct this or risk legal challenges. Well, guess what? The legislature did not correct it. They passed it eight days after it was introduced at the very end of the legislative session. And here we are. It, it seems like since the session adjourned earlier in April, all we have is questions about what happens with rules? What happens with salaries? What happens with Medicaid expansion? What happens with hemp? So the farther we get away from the session, the more questions we have. And I'm getting a and sense of frustration at this point. Because these aren't just academic questions at this point for school districts and local uh, teachers unions. They're at the bargaining table right now or heading there in, in the next School is about to end. We're about to go on summer break here. You know, the, the contract year begins and ends on July 1st. So this is the time of year when uh, school districts, uh, school administrators sit down with their local unions and hammer out a contract for the year. They can't really do a whole lot in terms of uh, you know, sorting out the numbers until the legislative right. session is over. They don't really know how much money is coming in. So there's only so much that can be done in the negotiation process until the session ends anyway. So this is negotiation season for uh, school districts across the state, and this is, you know, definitely going to complicate that negotiation process. So, you know, this bill that became law very quickly at the end of the legislative session is already having uh, some implications in the field in real time. 
Yeah, and it, it's important to say, like, you know, obviously I'm not an attorney. You shouldn't just listen to what I have to say here. Uh, but the article that I wrote on Monday, we link to four different letters from four different sources weighing in about what 293 does or does not do uh, in regards to salaries. Some people say it's a definitions bill only, that it doesn't mandate any salaries. Um, other people weigh in and say, absolutely, this, this raises the minimum salary. So you can read those four letters. The letter from the bill sponsors who said it was not our intention uh, to raise salaries, the letter from the governor, and then two letters from two different attorneys, one being Deputy Attorney General for the state of Idaho, Leslie Hayes. Um, but I mean, the thing that I ran into, a letter from legislators does not carry the force and effect of state law. No. House Bill 293 is signed into law at it this point. State law. It had an emergency clause on one of the sections, so some of it's already been enacted. The rest of it will be enacted on July 1st. Confusing stuff here. Um, and, and I mean, I, I guess my biggest takeaway is Tim Hill, the SDE deputy superintendent who warned about this issue on March 27th, stood up very humbly at the end of the legislative roadshow, at the end of his presentation on finance, and said, I take a lot of pride and responsibility in coming up here and being able to give you guidance on what to do in your district financially after the legislative session, and I want to apologize to you because I can't give you clear guidance. Mm -hmm. And it was a very serious, very humble apology from one of the leading experts in the state on public school finance, and he was frustrated. Right. And, and so, I, and that's the whole point of these legislative roadshows is people can't follow the legislative session every day in Boise. They can't drive out here. They can't follow the live stream. They can't read every single bill. And so what do people do? They look to journalists for news coverage of it. And then they look to their the local representatives experts. and they look to the policy experts at this SDE roadshow to say, okay, 95 days of chaos and turmoil under the state house. Here's what it means. Here's what you need to do. Tim Hill said, I'm sorry, I'm not able to give you this guidance. The best advice he had was, here's the letters, read them, and talk to your attorneys before making a decision. And he was frustrated and apologized. And I read it as a very sincere apology that this was a frustrated individual who wished he could have given more clear guidance to schools but was unable to do so. Right, and now it basically... You know, his advice, go to your attorney and get advice, means that, you know, obviously districts are going to hear different things from different oh, yeah. attorneys on this. I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's just the reality of the situation, and that's the uh, the challenge of the situation going forward. So we always kind of keep a close eye on the negotiations process as it unfolds this uh, every spring. I, I think this year it's going to be that much more interesting to watch. So. Uh, keep an eye on idahoednews.org as we um, watch this process unfold between now and uh, June 30th and perhaps beyond. In a lot of districts, uh, you know, perhaps the, the process continues into the summer, which we've seen before. I mean, that does happen. Yeah. But, you know, this added confusion, we'll, we'll see if it uh, creates uh, complications and extends negotiations around the state. Yeah, head over to idahoadnews.org uh, to check that out and the, uh, the rest of our top stories uh, from this week for sure. Another story I wanted to get to was a, a, a post-legislative story of sorts uh, with some help from Randy Schrader, our data analyst. We were able to put a dollar figure to uh, Superintendent Ibarra's uh, KISS campaign, the campaign to try to create a school safety initiative and, and get a school safety initiative through the legislature. Obviously, didn't go anywhere in the legislature, 
but not for lack of uh, spending on consultants. Uh, the figures that we were able to get from the State Department of Education uh, show that uh, State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra and the State Department of Education spent more than $35,000 on various consultants to work on KISS, the Keep Idaho Students Safe initiative, the school safety plan that, uh, that Ibarra rolled out last year. More than $35,000 approximate it is a very close approximation to the a one-year yeah, yeah. uh, one salary for a starting teacher. So, you know, that's one way of looking at the numbers. Um, consulting on how to get the word out about this proposal, uh, consultants uh, that were brought in to try to work on you know, school safety training for, right. for staff. Also for our public service announcement campaign for creating the PSA and uh, securing airtime for the PSA. So, you know, it was kind of, it was a good chance for us to kind of take a step back and see what, you know, what what happened with this rollout and how much was spent on this rollout and, you know. Because they did, I mean, I guess the point being they have a 135 whatever person office at the State Department of Education. They did not do all of that work in-house. They spent taxpayer dollars to go outside with the consultants and the PSA and the uh, school safety training. And so that's what you're tracking. They had this somewhat large state agency, state office. They did not do it all in-house. They went outside, and that's where the extra uh, $35,000 plus of taxpayer money came well, from. And, and what you can't quantify and what we didn't even try to quantify is how much in-house right. time and resource was devoted to the KISS proposal. Uh, Matt McCarter is the point person sure. on school safety issues for, for Sherry Ibarra. Um, but Matt McCarter wears a lot of hats. I mean, he's also the point person on the Advanced Opportunities Program. He's also the point person on the College and Career Advising A busy guy, program. for sure. Uh, driver's education falls under his, uh, you know, under his purview. It's... Guy wears a lot of hats, so it's impossible. And he did spend to a lot of time on school safety in the past year. I saw him leading meetings. You saw him leading webinars. He was talking to folks out in the field, so he was spending a lot of time on that and his various and sundry other obligations. Right. So, as anybody who listens to this who multitasks at work can, can can empathize, it's really hard to pin down. Okay, how many hours did I spend on this project as opposed to this other project as opposed to this other project? So we didn't even try to quantify that because it's really impossible to do. But with the consulting contracts with the outside vendors, it was easier to track down and to quantify how much we spent. And, you know, it, it again, it kind of goes back to the rollout of this project. Yeah, you know, and it, I think it always does with KISS. Uh, and let's, if you want to summarize that, why it was a little unorthodox and, and maybe it already had one foot in the grave even from the beginning because of this unorthodox rollout. Rolled out so late in the 2018 legislative session that there was never a hearing on it. Then as 2018 unfolded, you saw uh, Ibarra and State Department of Education try to get the word out about the proposal and try to uh, you know, galvanize support behind the proposal. That's where the PSA comes into play. I mean, that was Created last summer, last fall. I want to say that it went live sometime in the fall. Uh, you know, don't hold me to that. But this is all happening in the midst of uh, Superintendent Ibarra's re-election. It was campaign. a big part this, of our re-election campaign. Big issue in yeah. her campaign. She was really trying to uh, project the image that she was trying to uh, 
you know, do something bold on school safety, that she was a, that this was a, a big idea that she was going to take to the legislature. Well, she did take it to the legislature after her reelection and after these consultants uh, did their work, but it went nowhere in the legislature. <sighs> Governor Little didn't put yeah. it in his budget proposal. Um, the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee didn't really give it uh, a very close look. They didn't ask any questions about it uh, when they had uh, Superintendent Ibarra in for her budget presentation. It was never seriously considered by Little or the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. I mean, it, it was, it, it, you know, its fate was sealed uh, on day one of the legislative session, in spite of all of these, uh, you know, consulting projects that uh, were were let out. It was, and that was in interesting. I mean, you got to keep in mind, obviously, the fact that this is a Republican supermajority in the legislature. Superintendent Ybarra is a Republican who was reelected last year. These were all members of the same party. There was no appetite to have any type of serious discussion. Yes, there was one hearing in the House Education Committee, which has no control over state spending. There wasn't even a bill for them to pass, and so it was, it was an almost informational session, an informational it? courtesy hearing. It was never taken seriously, and, and these are folks within the same party that who were never on the same page about this thing. It no. never, there was never a bill, there was never a serious funding proposal, never even a motion to consider taking it up. Part of that was the unorthodox rollout, asking for the funding as a supplemental. I, I think that that was a huge mistake that the SDE would regret and do over again and do differently if it did over again. But they were also asking for quite a bit of money. Quite too. a bit of money at a time when revenues were very much and still somewhat uncertain because of changes to the uh, tax tables and tax laws from the previous year. There was some disagreement and some bumping of heads between the existing Office of School Safety and Security and some of the people in the field and who said they really weren't involved with the KISS rollout, didn't know what was going to be in it, felt like maybe we could have partnered up. Um, it, it just, uh, it was never taken seriously by anyone outside of the State Department of Education. It never had a chance. It never had a bill. There was never a funding proposal from anyone other than Superintendent Ybarra. It, it just, um, it, it never went anywhere at all. It didn't even get the courtesy of, of a serious discussion. And what I'll be interested in seeing between now and January of 2020 is how does this proposal get re-imaged? Because it's still on, on the State Department's website as if, if it on, exists, yes, it, as it, if it's a it's a viable proposal. And the superintendent said this week at the post-legislative tour, stay tuned, we're not dead, we still want to lead, lead on school safety. She mentioned an upcoming uh, conference that the SDE will play a part in. Uh, but it's on the top of the SDE's website as if it's a living, breathing school safety proposal, which it is not. Right. I mean, something will almost have to change and probably change in a big way in order to get legislators to take a closer look at it the second time around. What it looks like next year? We don't know. We, we have no way of knowing. That's going to be uh, interesting to watch in the next few months to see how this is repackaged, re-imaged, remade and refined. So uh, there are a lot of re's there, right? But yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be watching. But this is a chance, uh, and I thought it was important for us to kind of take a look back and see kind of where the money went and how the campaign uh, was uh, was formulated. Because, you know, this was her big, uh, big initiative and a big campaign issue. So 
that's where we stand, and we'll watch it going forward. Yeah, we sure will. A couple of other top stories um, to look at that we're not going to really explore in depth on the podcast. I traveled out to Idaho City and met with officials from the Basin School District. They're going to take another run at a bill that has to do with allowing patrons to extend supplemental levies without having to go to the polls every year or every other year, as the case currently is. That bill failed during the 2019 legislative session after winning wide support in the Senate. The House tacked on some amendments uh, that killed it. Basin School District is going to take another run at running a clean version of that bill next year. If you want to find out a little bit about how that might affect districts, Head over to the homepage. I know there's a couple of other things you wanted to highlight before uh, we go today, Kevin. I had a chance to meet with a couple of uh, students uh, in the West Ada School District in, um, you know, who got some national recognition this week. Really kind of a cool story. They did a video about immigration in America, and it's really a very well done video. And C-SPAN, the, uh, you know, the Government yeah. Affairs yeah, Network, yeah. the cable network that follows the Senate and the House so the rest of us don't have to. I mean, th- these are the, uh, the, the policy wonks of cable TV came to Meridian on Wednesday uh, to honor these students. Uh, got a chance to sit and talk to them a little bit uh, about the making of the video and you know, where they go from here as students. Uh, really cool, uh, really cool story. Uh, check it out. We've got a link to C-SPAN so you can see uh, see the student videos as well. So that was kind of cool. It was a good good chance to uh, you know you know see students who are doing something really really uh, you know really interesting and you know really well done. Yeah. Lastly, before we uh, let you go for this week's podcast, a little bit of shameless self promotion. Clark and I were both at the uh, Idaho Press Club's annual banquet on Saturday. We came away, Idaho Education News, with seven first place awards, 20 awards overall. And so this is shameless self-promotion, but that is the most awards that we've ever come away from uh, an Idaho Press Club uh, banquet with. And what I thought was really cool as I was watching it uh, Saturday night was that just about everybody on staff uh, you know, got the recognition that, obviously I'm biased, but recognition that I think... Uh, they, uh, we all deserved. Uh, Devin Bodkin got a first place in the First Amendment uh, category for some work that he did covering uh, the Sugar Salem School District. One of the most prestigious awards given out all night. That really uh, is a baby. Sure. And, and, and really a reflection. Uh, Devin stuck with this story. Uh, you know, he got some blowback from the district, but he stuck with it. He got his uh, he, he got his facts straight, and he uh, he got the goods and got recognition on Saturday for that. Devin was, was really, also really Devin was also that. finished third place for the Reporter of the Year which award, a really prestigious award, which covers uh, daily newspapers and daily online news sites as well. Um, that's fantastic. And, and third in some really good company. I mean, yeah. the first and second place winners, Chad Cripe from the Idaho Statesman, Nicole Foy from the, the Idaho Press, are terrific journalists. So for Devin to be in that category is is a big deal and deserved mm-hmm. because he, he's had an outstanding year. Uh, Melanie Moore-Flake, our mom blogger, she got first place in the blog competition. Well-deserved because she's doing some great stuff on that blog. John Sisk, who, you know, Best IT in, man in the country. Right. And, you know, he works in Colorado. He does a lot of IT stuff for us. We call him IT John. He won first place for some graphics that he did for uh, 
for the series that I did last fall on uh, obstacles and options. Your series was awarded a first place plaque for, I'm going to say, special coverage. Mm -hmm. um, Well-deserved. Congratulations. I and know you you've really closely followed um, kind of the, uh, well, the obstacles and the opportunities yeah. for going on, the decisions that a young person makes when they're looking at higher education coming out of high school. That's the second series you've really done uh, tracking that issue. And so uh, well-deserved for sure. And your first place was for political coverage for that uh, campaign uh, meet and greet that uh, Superintendent Ibarra had at the... Uh, the Gathering Place in Eagle? The Gathering Place, uh, which is owned by a former instructor who... Um, his teaching certificate revoked uh, indefinitely by the state of Idaho. Over sexual harassment. So, yeah. Yes. So re really good coverage, really good timely coverage there uh, and certainly deserving of, of your award. So really a very cool night for us. And I know that's a lot of, uh, you know, patting ourselves on the back. But, uh, you know, it, it's always I was really most happy to see, you know, the awards that other people got, you know, I said it in the staff meeting earlier this week. I was really, really happy for Devin and his award on the Sugar Salem story because, you know, he was on the front lines uh, taking a lot of heat for, you know, doing the work that journalists do, which is holding, you know, government accountable, holding elected officials accountable, uh, making sure that the, the process is being followed to the letter and, and to the spirit of, uh, uh, of transparency. And, you know, he... He was doing the work that journalists are supposed to do day in and day out. And to see him get recognized again was uh, the highlight of the night for me. It made me feel good about journalism overall. Not only did we have a good night, which is reflective of, you know, hopefully a good year in, in 2018. It made me feel good about journalism in the state of Idaho. Uh, to see some of the best young journalists in Idaho honored for that work, our good friend Melissa Davlin won the Broadcast Journalist of, of the Year Award Yet again, congratulations to Melissa, extremely well-deserved. Nicole Foy from the Idaho Press won a number of awards. She is one of the absolute best young journalists mm, in the state. Groundbreaking reporting. I mean, she's covering uh, Hispanic issues for the Idaho Press. I mean, that's a new beat. That's a new job. And she is doing amazing work. Congratulations to Nicole and to everyone at the Idaho Press for the investment that they're making in the community. The Idaho Statesman won a number of uh, important awards. Our friend James Dawson from Idaho Public mm -hmm. Radio, I believe he won something like four first place plaques. Uh, James really distinguished himself during this legislative session uh, as well, and so expect good things from James and Boise State Public Radio going forward. And I want to go back to the statesman, uh, my former uh, stomping grounds, and Chad Cripe, Absolutely. the of the year. Heck of a year, Chad. Did amazing, outstanding public-spirited journalism uh, last year looking at problems at the University of Idaho's athletic department. I mean, his reporting was instrumental to shining a light on problems within that athletic department, which uh, led to change at the top in the athletic department. I mean, that's public-spirited journalism at its finest. I mean, you know, you, you just tip your hat and you say, that's the guy who should have gotten reporter of the year. So the judges... They got uh, it right. They definitely got it right. Chad is a a first-class journalist, uh, a first-class guy, uh, I couldn't be happier for him as well. Yeah, it, it makes you feel good about the state of journalism in Idaho. A lot of our friends were there. A lot of our former colleagues were there. Um, and so, yes, it's self-serving. Um, but enough about that. Uh, uh, we had fun. I was happy for my friends. I was happy for you. I was happy for my coworkers. Um, 
It, it just made me feel good, but, uh, but enough about that. That's everything I wanted to get to on this week's Extra Credit. We do have a number of things that we have working on for next week and the next three, four weeks until school gets out, and then you and I will be going on our vacations. Uh, so it's going to be a busy, uh, basically between here and Memorial Day is really going to be busy. We have some cool stuff that we're working on that we'll be able to share with you over the next couple weeks. So stay tuned. We will be back for another edition of Extra Credit next Friday. In the meantime, if you want to stay current, follow the homepage, IdahoEdNews.org, or if you're on Twitter, give us a follow, at IdahoEdNews, to see live tweets from some of the big meetings, and that's where we also uh, publish all our breaking news. So as always, thanks so much for joining us. We have a lot of fun breaking down this intersection of education policy, education politics. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.